0: listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 270, and today we are talking about books being released on July 28th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Patricia Elsie Tuttle, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello there! Hello! How's it going? Whew. Well, I'm very warm. I'm very confused. I recorded next week's show before this one, So I have no idea what day it is. (laughs) I thought that I missed my best friend's birthday for like five minutes this morning because I was like, we're recording August. Ah." No, I'm confused. But other than that, pretty good. I'm on vacation. Yeah, clearly. I wanted to spend a lot of it (laughs) playing World of Warcraft, which I was very excited about. And I downloaded it to my computer because I had gotten rid of it before. Uh, And then when I went to use it, it was like, no, you cannot. This computer is 15 years old. How dare So uh, now I'm kind of glad because I think I would still just be sitting in front of the computer, like, playing World of Warcraft, like, you know, several weeks later. So I've been reading books and watching the critters out the window. I got to
1: film a hummingbird this morning. It was amazing. I saw that on your Instagram. It's adorable.
0: Yeah. It just hung around for a really long time right outside my window. And I was like, well,
1: all right, shall we? Let's take a video. So that was cool. How have you been? I've been okay. I have some um plant maintenance to do. I have to like repot some plants and so maybe tomorrow morning I'll take a break from my day job and do that. But exciting thing In my day job, I work in philanthropy for a university, and I'm in the Bay Area, so I'm often looking at things about rich people in the Bay Area. And I happen to see that Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day, his house is on, is for sale right now up in the hills. So you're going to buy it? I that's amazing. wish. I was looking like I was looking <laughs> at the real estate page, at the pictures. It's like, uh, so dreamy and millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. So I just oh, live well. vicariously through the pictures on the real estate websites.
0: That's pretty great. <laughs> that that cuz that's where he's yeah. from, right? The
1: Bay Area? Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. I remember I think it was the video for When I Come Around. He's basically in, like, our BART station, like, our subway stations. Like, he's in one of the stations. And I was like, I recognize that. Also, I was like, you know, 12 or something. So.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Not me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're not much older than me. I'm so old. You're not much older
0: than me. Hmm. I'm so old. I used to listen to Operation Ivy, which is, like, the band that influenced Oh, wow. Okay. Which eventually became ranted. Yes. So. I feel very old. I went to a Green Day show when I was 19. It's the first time I got punched in the face at a concert. (laughs) (laughs) Just someone in the crowd just punching people for fun. That was a good time.
1: (laughs) I went. Green Day, they had American Idiot the musical. So, before a mm-hmm. musical goes to Broadway, it usually does previews in a large city. And so, their previews were here in Berkeley. So, I saw American Idiot before it went to Broadway. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty cool.
0: Yeah. So, all right, we've talked about fistfights and hummingbirds and expensive real estate. Now it's time to talk about books. Yes.
2: After we hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, Don't let the white man take the house, end quote.
3: This episode is sponsored by Lavender Con and Little District Books. Lavender Con, which is just the best name for a book festival, is a new book festival in Washington D.C. It's presented by Little District Books, which is Washington D.C.'s all queer bookstore, both of whom are dedicated to celebrating LGBTQIA+ authors and stories. The festival will feature over 80 authors, including Terry J. Benton-Walker, the author of the Blood Debt's duology famed audiobook narrator Natalie Nottis with her debut romance novel called Gay the Prey Away and Rashid Newsom, author of My Government Means to Kill Me. And as I am looking at the website right now, breaking news, I saw a familiar face, and that is Book Riot senior contributor Susie Dumont. I'm so excited to see her name on this list. Author of Queerly Beloved and Looking for a Sign. So you have so many great authors to discover at the festival. LavenderCon will feature 20-plus panels with topics for middle grade, young adult, and adult readers discussing romance, fantasy, horror, writing craft, and more. There will be a queer artist market, so you can go nab all of the great art and stickers and pins and handmade goods. The festival is happening June 29th and 30th in Washington, D.C., and you can either grab Saturday, Sunday, or two-day VIP tickets, which come with a few extra perks. Thank you once again to LavenderCon and Little District Books for sponsoring today's show. We hope you make your way over to the festival.
0: And I think it's funny that I'm saying, now let's talk about this, because my first book is called Let's Never Talk About This Again. (laughs) It's by Sarah Faith Alderman, and it is a memoir Get your tissues ready. It is very funny, but it is also very sad. It is about her interactions with her dad, uh, who had Alzheimer's, and he did pass away, and it's about her time with him. Her father was a influential, larger-than-life figure in her life. Uh, she grew up with kind of a strict upbringing. There was no cursing allowed in the house. They weren't allowed to see any kissing parts in movies. Uh, if, like, a movie came on and, and characters started kissing, her dad would leap across the room to change the channel because it was back before, like, remote controls. And they weren't allowed to, like, read books that their parents didn't approve of. She had a younger brother. They couldn't go to to movies that weren't rated G. And, like, this is, like, as she's getting older and now she's, like, talking about, like, her friends in, like, fifth grade are all watching Back to the Future and her parents won't let her see it. And she's not allowed to date. Her, her parents were very, very strict about things. And the thing that is interesting about this is that when she was eight or nine, she was messing around in the living room of her parents' house. Their parents weren't home at the time. And she was climbing around on the bookshelves and she found some naughty novelty books. The kind that you would probably find in, like, Spencer's Gifts, if that is a thing that still exists. I did mention earlier that I'm old. And some of them are, like, filled with, like, silly stories and, like, dirty photos and some of them were about euphemisms involving cats. Uh, Just like these really like silly, weird books. And she's like, what on earth are these? But the thing is, (laughs) there's another side to this. As she's putting them away, she hears her father coming home. She's putting them away. She realizes that her father is the author of these books. And she's like, what? She had never heard about these books. And she never mentioned that she found these books. And her father never said anything to her about them. Her parents never mentioned like her dad had this job working in computers. Her parents never mentioned that he was an author as well. And one of these books was actually really famous. I remember my mother worked in a bookstore when I was a kid in the 80s. And I remember that this was like this dirty novelty book that was on the shelves there. It was very famous. But I'm not going to say the title of it here because it's just horrible. Um, But so it's like about how she grew up with like this secret and, you know, like, her parents wouldn't let her, like, listen to, like, Bon Jovi or anything. And meanwhile, he has, like, this career writing this, like, like silly porn. Um, and so we get to hear about her as, like, she grows up and she has a relationship. And in this time, as she's in her, like, 20s and late 20s, her father starts acting bizarrely. He's having some problems driving and staying on the road. He keeps forgetting things. Um, He walks her down the aisle at her wedding and then is, like, standing on the back of her dress so that she can't move. And they're trying to tell him to, like, move. and And, like, he's not responding. Like, it's a very strange moment for her. And he gets fired from his job. And now she's trying to help him find a job, but he keeps getting angry about things. You know, he calls her and says like the internet is down, but it turns out like he doesn't have his computer on, and and then all of a sudden, like after like several years of this, and you can tell like it's taking a toll on her mom, and and it's really hard for her too. She she lives across the country from them now. He sends her an email and says I'm I'm going to revive my my book career, and she's like uh because they've never discussed his book career, and he's like, "Uh, will you help me with some stuff? I'm going to send you some stuff, and he starts sending her manuscripts for like these dirty books that he's written, and she's like oh, goodness, like we've never even discussed, you know, S-E-X, you know, and now my dad wants me to edit these like weird books that he's writing. And so and then she finds out from her mother that he has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. The doctor says he has about a year and a half left of really being aware of his surroundings. And then it's just going to get worse from there. And she decides she's going to help him finish these books that she doesn't really want anything to do with. And she doesn't know how it's going to work between them because it's makes her feel uncomfortable and she thinks it's kind of weird, but she's just going to do it. Um, and so, it, you know, it's about how she spent her father's last years with him. And it's also a lot about how his books affected her. Like, reading, because she used to go in the living room and, like, look through these books all the time once she found them, like, when, when her parents were gone. And it's about how, like, these sexist, ageist, phobic, horrible, jokey, you know, books about sex informed her teenage years, like, how it made her feel bad about herself and like how they popped into her head like images like would pop into her head when she was thinking about like dating you know and stuff like that and how they affected her it's very interesting to see like how they that influence on her and it's just it's really it's really good it is funny it's also funny and i just i thought it was wonderful it's called let's never talk about this again and it's by sarah faith alterman that
1: sounds amazing
0: it's really good. It is really sad. Like, yeah. You know, but you know, like, from the very beginning, she says to you, you know, my father has passed away. So you know that it's going to happen. Doesn't mean it's any less sad.
1: Yeah. So for my first book, I have Stranger Things Into the Fire by Jodie Hauser, Ryan Kelly, Lebo Underwood, Triona Farrell, and Nate Piekos. So I love Stranger Things. I was born at the end of the 70s, and I'm a child of the 80s, and so much of the show just resonates with me, and so I'm often searching for any little scrap of media I could get a hold of about Stranger Things between the seasons. Stranger Things Into the Fire is a comic book trade that covers the Into the Fire arc issues one through four. The main characters in this comic are not the characters that we know and love, though Eleven is definitely talked about and there's like a little flashback that involves Eleven. This book focuses on a couple of teens who have escaped the Hawkins lab, where they were experimenting on all kinds of psychic and powerful kids, not just Eleven. The guy is called Three and he has, the best way I could describe it is like powers of persuasion. And the girl is Marcy, who has no powers. But she was at the lab, and her twin sister, known as Nine, did have powers. So Three and Marcy escaped, and they're driving around looking for other kids who have also escaped and are trying to help them. We learn that Marcy's twin sister, Nine, could start fires. And Marcy and Three find Callie, also known as Eight, and her gang, who we actually did see in the show... And Marcy and Three thought that Nine, Marcy's sister, was dead. And they find Callie. And Callie, reminder, can cause vivid hallucinations. And Callie tells Three and Marcy that Nine was still alive the last time she saw her. So all of a sudden, partway through this book, it turns into a rescue mission. And they're trying to find out, like, where is she? Is she still at Hawkins' lab? And... They're looking around for her, and they also remember, like, at the lab, she was someone who's like these fire starting powers. They weren't able to control her, and so she was definitely a wild card. And so she doesn't know if they stopped working with her at all, or even since Callie last saw her, if she actually is still alive. So while there's no Demi Gorgon, unfortunately, in this comic. It still offers some of the darkness and grittiness of the show, and I really enjoyed the read. Again, it's Stranger Things Into the Fire by Jodie Houser, Ryan Kelly, Lebeau Underwood, Triona Farrell, and Nate Piekos.
0: Okay, my next pick is, I think... I might have mentioned this before either I was reading it or I don't know. I'm just going to tell you what it is. It's The Silence of the White City by Eva Garcia Signs, And it is translated from the Spanish by Nick Kester. I was at an event in January at a bookstore when you could still go to those events. And there was a rep from Random House who told me that this was her favorite book that she had read in a long, long, long time. And so, of course, I had to have it and read it immediately. It turns out it is the first in a trilogy. It has just been translated into English. In Spain, it is a huge, huge, huge success, like "Grow the Dragon Tattoo kind of success. Uh, it's a bestseller. There's the three, three books are already out. They're already bestsellers. And there is either an adaptation already done or one in the works. Uh, so now we get it here in the States. It is about, well, this first book, I don't know what the whole trilogy is about, but this first book is about a series of ritualistic murders that take place in Vitoria, Spain. There is an inspector, Unai, he is a criminal profiler, and his partner, is Belez, who is, works in victimology, and they get a call, or she calls him, actually, and says they found these bodies in a crypt. And they are it's an identical crime to one that took place 20 years before, uh, when several people were murdered. The killer who was responsible for that was caught. He was turned in by his identical twin brother, who was a police officer. And so all this time, the killer has been in jail. And now they're like, is he? Is this a copycat murder? Did he have an accomplice? Was he innocent? And so. You hear the whole story of them catching the killer, and it's intricately and excellently plotted. But it's also like this lush, detailed examination of relationships. And you have Unai and his partner, Estebelez, like uh, the, how they get along. You have the twins at the center of the killings before the, the, the killer and his police officer brother. Uh, you hear about Unai and his wife, who has died. It's very grisly as you might imagine it would be, but it's tons of fun. I started reading and I was like, what is going to happen here? But I got sucked in immediately. It's a little bit Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. It reminded me a little bit of Hannibal. Uh, Not the TV show, but the book when he's in Italy. It reminds me a little bit of The Da Vinci Code. I am super excited to read the next book because I have no idea what's going to happen next. It is called The Silence of the White City by Eva Garcia Signs.
1: My next book is This Is My America by Kim Johnson. This is some pretty heavy YA fiction, which I know there's definitely a group of people who are into this like heavy YA fiction. Our protagonist is Tracy Beaumont. She's a teen. She is black. And her father, James Beaumont, is in prison. He was wrongly accused of murder and at the beginning of the book, he has 275 days before he will be executed. The book is told from Tracy's point of view and interspersed with the chapters of prose are Tracy's weekly letters to Innocence X, which is a nonprofit legal organization who helps to prove the innocence of people who have been incarcerated. They only accept requests via handwritten letters, and Tracy has been writing weekly for seven years. So Tracy lives with her mother, her older brother Jamal, who runs track and is a senior in high school. Tracy's a junior, and their little sister Corinne. Tracy is on the school newspaper and is hoping to be editor her senior year. And she also runs a Know Your Rights class at the local community center in their area, which is like a suburb of Houston, I think is where this takes place. So flash forward, there's been a murder of a high schooler, and Tracy's brother Jamal has been accused. So this book is not only a tale about police brutality and abuse of power, but it also involves how white supremacy is insidious not only in like the blatant KKK history of the town it takes place in, but on the micro and interpersonal level as well. So on top of all this, it's a really high stakes anxiety inducing mystery. Tracy is simultaneously trying to help her father while also trying to prove her brother's innocence and keep him from facing the same possible fate. And so she like, like visits the scene of the crime when she's not supposed to and almost gets caught multiple times. Also, she's tr- in all of this, she's trying to keep herself from being caught and being harmed by the police who already don't have a good reputation in this area. Also, on top of all this, she's trying to manage friendships and relationships as a team because it's not like all those things stop when something larger is going on. And like, then she turns into the teen whose father is not only on death row, but also who her brother is now being accused of killing another teen who was really popular at the high school. So there are many content warnings for this. There's murder, violence against women, anti-Black racism, including discussion of lynching and cross-burning, anti-Asian racism, and an incarcerated loved one. This book was really intense read, and it was a really good read. I highly recommend. This is My America by Kim Johnson. Okay,
0: my next book switching gears is a slim novel of self-discovery it is called it is wood it is stone by gabriella burnham and like i said it's a very lovely little novel about self-discovery it reminded me of miley malloy or samantha harvey uh, if you're familiar with those authors maybe, De- maybe deborah levy even it's about an american woman named linda she's getting ready to leave her husband dennis she wants to end their marriage But on the day that she decides she's going to break it off with him, he tells her that he has received a job. He is going to be a professor in Brazil for a year and he wants them to move there while he's teaching. And she decides, well, maybe a change of scenery will shake up my life, will help me figure out some things. But soon after they arrive, you know, Dennis is working all the time and Linda feels like she doesn't really have anything to do. She doesn't know what to do with herself. Her housekeeper, Marta, she was already working there when they started staying there. She sort of takes care of everything. And Linda feels like she doesn't have anything to do. And she becomes unmoored. She becomes depressed. And then she meets a woman named Celia. And she starts spending time with her. And Celia is teaching her Portuguese. And she falls in love. She sort of falls for this woman, Celia. And it's a, it's a novel of self-realization and also of ignorance. You know, the char- what it's about what the characters think they know about themselves, about their careers about their relationships, about their sexuality, and also, like, the assumptions that they make about others, including, like, class. You know, Linda makes assumptions about Marge's life because she's a housekeeper. And this whole book is told in hindsight, so you get to hear, like, the self-awareness that Linda has regarding what has taken place. It's sort of a very internal novel. It's a very personal novel. I thought it was wonderful. It It is Wood, It is Stone
1: by Gabriella Burnham. And now I think it's time for another sponsor.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Penguin Team. In a world where the children of the gods inherit their powers, a descendant of the Greek fates must solve a series of impossible murders to save her sisters, her soulmate, and her city. Descendants of the fates are always born in threes. There's one to weave, one to draw, and one to cut the threads that connect people to the things they love and to life itself. And the Aura sisters are no exceptions. There is Eo, the youngest, who uses her fate-born abilities as a private investigator. But her latest job leads her to a horrific discovery. Somebody is abducting women and setting the resulting wraiths loose in the city to kill. Now, the second book in the series, Hearts That Cut, will be on sale June 18th, 2024 this is a must read for all greek mythology and fantasy fans this is dripping with atmosphere edge with danger threads that bind weaves together a gorgeous dark tapestry of mystery faded romance and modern myth you won't be able to put this one down and that comes from alexandra bracken new york times bestselling author of lore so make sure to pick up threads that bind by kitsa hatsapolu and thanks again to penguin teen for sponsoring this episode Today's episode is brought to you by Yin Press, your favorite publisher of Japanese manga and novels. Tragedy unfolds on the first day of spring when a train derails at Nishi Iwakama Station, changing the course of hundreds of lives. Two months later, a rumor spreads of a ghost with the power to send others back in time, inevitably attracting those who seek a chance to go back to that fateful day. The God of Nishi Yuagahama Station by Takeshi Morase is a moving story about the unpredictability of life. It aims to comfort tired souls and answers the famous question, what would you do if you had a second chance? Told through the eyes of a student, a son, and a bride-to-be, this heart-wrenching novel is a reflection of how grief impacts us and what we must do to pick up the pieces. Don't miss this literary debut full of fabulism and time travel by Japanese writer Takeshi Morase. To learn more, please visit yinpress.com. And thanks again to Yin Press, your favorite publisher of Japanese manga and novels, for sponsoring this episode. All right.
0: Now, tell us what you have next.
1: My next book is Quintessence by Jess Redman. This is a middle grade fantasy, but I think even though the main characters are 12, it reads a little bit younger, so the audience might be a bit wider than I expected going into this. This story takes place in a town called Four Points. The neighborhoods are, of course, First Point, Second Point, Third Point, and Fourth Point. There is a shop at the very center of the town called the Fifth Point. Its windows are covered in grime, and it has a door on each one of its four walls. It's kind of like an antique store, but everything inside is broken. Also, it's never open. People never see the doors open. And there's a sign on the door that's like, eh, make an appointment. So up on top of the fifth point is a tall lookout platform that people can access from a ladder outside of the building and look around at the views of the town as well as do some stargazing. Our protagonist, 12-year-old Alma, recently moved to Four Points with her parents who are both lawyers. Alma really, really misses her old home, and she hasn't been herself since they've moved. She's actually become terrified of going out, meeting new people, exploring the town, and being in new places, and she's been having panic attacks. Her parents offer all kinds of suggestions and advice on things that Alma can do to acclimate to the new town and make friends and, you know, just stop having panic attacks like that's so easy. Anyway, Alma lies and said like, oh, she's fine. She's no longer having panic attacks, but she totally is because she feels broken and she feels like when she has anxiety, she's disappointing her parents. So she just lies to them and tells them that she is fine. One day at school, she sees a flyer and it feels like it was meant for her. It says on it that you are made of elements and quintessence. Learn more at the astronomy club. Alma's parents have been pressuring her to join a club, so she puts the flyer in her backpack. After school, she goes for a walk, which is new for her. She usually doesn't even leave her parents' office after school. And she ends up at the Fifth Point, this funky little shop, where there's actually a door open. She has a weird interaction with the shopkeep who lets her have a telescope looking thing he calls a quintoscope. He also gave her a really cryptic message of like, gather the elements and grow the light and save the starling. So she's like, okay, whatever. I'm taking this thing home. So she takes it home. And that night she sneaks out of her bedroom window onto the roof to use the quintoscope. And she sees a star explode. And then a star near it fell and fell and fell right into the preserve behind her house. And it looked like a humanoid form. Like, it was really, really bright. And it definitely looked like a creature. So, this story is about bravery and honesty and friendship. And also... uh. Like I said, honesty, there's there's a lot of lying going on. And also the kids in the story do some really dangerous and boneheaded things like sneaking out at midnight and taking a strange bus up a mountain. But hopefully by the end, the kids have learned their lessons. It also talks a lot about panic attacks and anxiety and what those feel like for Alma. And I think it's very important representation and very important for kids to see this in a character It was overall a fun book. It's Quintessence by Jess Redman.
0: Okay, and for my last pick today, I'm going to close out with a fast-paced thriller that is perfect for these hot days. It is His and Hers by Alice Feeney. It's basically about two characters. Anna Andrews, who is a presenter on a BBC news show, Sort of living her dream job, but it's kind of slipping away from her. And she is offered an assignment to go and cover a murder in the small village of Blackdown. And this is also, coincidentally, the village where Anna grew up. The other character in the book is DCI Jack Harper, who is called to investigate the murder of a woman, the same murder that Anna is sent to cover. And DCI Jack Harper has a secret he hooked up with the victim before she died. However, he decides he's not going to tell anyone this because he thinks that makes him a suspect. But also not telling them makes him a suspect. And now he has to sort of, like, investigate her life being the person that is sometimes mentioned, the unknown, like, in the investigation regarding this victim. And Anna also knew the victim. She went to school with her. And as the body count rises and more and more women are murdered, we find out that Anna had some unpleasantness in her life regarding some of the victims. And they're all wearing like these identical friendship bracelets. Like, Why are they all wearing these bracelets? And it's sort of like a him and her story. But only one of these stories is true. Only one of them is telling the truth. You have to figure out who is. It is called His and Hers by Alice Feeney, and I ate it like candy.
1: (laughs) For my last book, I have I Kissed Alice by Anna Birch, with illustrations by Victoria Ying. Queer young adult romance coming through. Enemies to Lovers as well, so, you know, I eat that up. It is mostly full of drama, and it's totally anxiety-inducing. And there's lots of yelling and fights and girls being crappy friends to other girls and extra crappy to the girls who they don't consider friends. So if you don't like high drama, then this book might not be for you. But if you're like me and you love mess, then you're going to like this book. It takes place at the Alabama Conservatory of the Arts and Technology. We have three main characters, all of whom are on the art track. We have Ileana, who has to work hard for everything she has, and her family does not have much, and she's very outspoken. We have Rhodes, whose family is very wealthy, and she's always winning awards for her art. And finally, Sarah, a quirky girl who's, Ileana's best friend since they were children and now is also really close friends and roommates with Rhodes. So Ileana and Rhodes hate each other, like hate each other. Rhodes comes off as pretentious and a flashback tells us that Rhodes brought Sarah and Ileana to an art installation where there was a lot of weed being smoked and police came and Ileana lost her scholarship and was almost kicked out of school and it was really, really bad. So, Ileana holds that against Rhodes, which you kind of can't blame her for. And Sarah is stuck in between the two of them. This book is told in alternating viewpoints, going back and forth between Ileana and Rhodes. But there's a third type of chapter, which involves pages of fan fiction, like a comic, and direct mes- messages between one person with the handle Curious in Cheshire. And another person with the handle, I Kissed Alice. Curious and Cheshire and I Kissed Alice have major crushes on each other. And they are working together on an Alice in Wonderland fanfic comic where it's Alice and the Queen in space and it's also gay and I would totally read it. Anyway, we learn that Ileana is Curious and Cheshire and Rhodes is I Kissed Alice. So enemies in real life and sexting in direct messages because they don't know that the other person they're sexting with is the person they hate. So to up the intensity even more, Ileana and Rhodes are competing in a major art competition. Like I said, if you love Mess, this was a really fun read. Again, it's I Kissed Alice by Anna Birch with illustrations by Victoria Ying.
0: I'm going to put forth the idea that I think the name Alice is used more than almost any other name in book titles. If you think about it, there are so many books with the name Alice in the title. Not even including Alice in Wonderland, but like off the top of my head, the Alice Network, Still Alice, What Alice Forgot, Alice Not, A Town Like yeah. Alice, Alice By Heart. I feel like the name Alice is really, really popular. Wasn't there Go Ask Alice? Go Ask Alice. was Go yep. Ask... <laughs> yep. And just like so many. There was a mystery I read last year that had Alice in the title that I'm not remembering. I think it might be the most popular name used in a title. I could be wrong. I, I can't think of any others right now. But, you know, I'm just putting that out there. Huh. Something to think about.
1: I do notice it a lot, so... Yeah. You you may be onto something.
0: The only Alice I know is our Alice at Book Riot. And she's awesome. So, you know, I just assume everyone else named Alice is awesome as well. Could be true. Could be true. So those are our
1: new picks. What are you going to read next? So, my next read is also something that comes out the day of this podcast, and it's The Butterfly Lampshade by Amy Bender. And fun fact, Amy Bender was one of my writing professors (gasps) in college. Oh, my goodness. I love her so much. (gasps) she Yeah, she was my first writing professor. So, she read all my awful stories. That's amazing! I'm sure they weren't awful. Oh, that's, that's awesome. But she's, like, really, really lovely, and I'm really excited to read this book.
0: Oh, me too! I have a copy. I just got that. I still have not read it, but I'm going to read it soon. But first, I'm going to read this book because, woohoo! I just got a copy of the new Jane Harper. It is called The Survivors. I love Jane Harper. She wrote The Dry and Forces of Nature, and I, I wonder if they're still making that TV show out of The Dry. I think they were doing it like with Eric Banna. I hope that's coming soon, but I am so excited. Just a little bit below Tana French excitement for, for new Jane Harper. So I'm going to read this <laughs> next. And that is all for today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you want to let us know something. You can find us online. Patricia hangs out on Twitter and Instagram at the info file. I am friends and comes alive and if you want to give us a treat you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review it helps other book lovers to find us and as much as we would love to tell you about more books today we just don't have the time but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter and in the meantime happy reading happy reading